0: Good to see you all this morning. You look good, and welcome to those who are joining us live stream today. I'm My friends back, I was in Georgia yesterday. Paul and Donna, watch us live stream. I know you're out there, and good to have you. If you're new to us, this has been our sermon series for several weeks. Killing kryptonite. You know, for Superman, kryptonite is his weakness, and so you know, in the spiritual arena for Christians, it's sin. But we've zeroed in on the sin of idolatry, which I kind of our working definition is when we're seeking to satisfy desires or cravings that we have, but do that outside the will of God. It's practicing known sin that leads to weakness, spiritual sickness, and death. So we've been dealing with this for several weeks now, but when we ended uh, last week, we were talking about addictions, you know, sinful addictions. Any kind of sin, really, can become an addiction, whether a gambling and a eating can and a, or alcoholism, for instance. But uh, the one, so we're going to talk about how to overcome a sinful habit or sinful addiction as Christians today. And the one I want to use as our illustration is the addiction to pornography. I've never heard that done in a sermon before. I've certainly never addressed it. And so that's what we're going to do today. I want to start off with just a, a few statistics here. Today, the average age of exposure to pornography is 11 which correlates directly to the average age at which a son or a daughter receives a smartphone. In January of 2013, researchers at the University of Montreal wanted to compare the behavior of men who viewed sexually explicit material with those who had never looked at it at all. However, they had to drastically rethink their study after failing to find any males under 20 who had never viewed porn. So they they simply could not come up with a control group. According to a 2014 Barna Group survey, the following percentages of men say they view pornography at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 79%. 31 to 49-year-olds, 67%. And 50 to 68-year-olds, 49%. The percentages of women who view pornography at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 76%. 31 to 49-year-olds, 16%. And 50 to 68-year-olds is 4%. 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women reported they view pornography at least once a month. In 2002, of 1,351 pastors, preachers, surveyed, 54% say they had viewed internet pornography within the last year. That's all I'm really going to do with statistics today. Uh, You know, all I really, I'm just using those to illustrate this is a widespread problem. Now, this is not something off in left field with a real narrow focus. It cuts across all kinds of demographics. It may not be your problem this morning. It may not be your problem, but it's somebody's problem. And it's probably someone's problem here. Maybe maybe many people. Someone you know is struggling with uh, an addiction or a a pornography habit. You just don't know who they are because they're not going to tell you. It's a shame-based addiction. Certainly a stigma attached to it. Uh, Again, R.C. Sproul Jr. said this. It's okay to say we're all sinners, but once you mention a specific sin, then you're in trouble. So... um, I'm not going to do any more with stats, because statistics, we could, I could do statistics the rest of my time, and you know, make us all feel depressed, but statistics never helped anybody overcome their habit or their addiction, and so that's their downfall, and that's our focus this morning. So we're going to look at some strategies for having victory over a sinful habit, and we're simply using pornography as our example, but the strategies we talk about will apply to kind of any sinful habit or addiction. Okay, so let's look at three strategies. Let's start with number one is grace. Using grace to fight pornography. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. The Hebrew writer says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, while I've listed this as the first strategy, it's really foundational. God's grace is foundational to all of our strategies and everything we're going to talk about. We're probably very familiar as Christians. We're very familiar with God's forgiving grace. We know that we are saved by grace through faith. Not because of our works, our good works, or our bad works. We know that. And that's great. It's good news. But the news gets even better. Because not only is there God's forgiving grace to forgive us after we've sinned, there is also God's transforming grace, God's empowering grace grace that helps to give us the strength to resist sin and temptation in the first place. And this is really the context of this passage in Hebrews, is when we're struggling with temptation, then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, and he will help us. So when we became Christians, we identified with the death and resurrection of Jesus in a very powerful way. Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So there is a resurrection power that exists within us to help us to live a new kind of life, a holy life, a pure life. But if we're not tapping into that power, we might as well not have it. Like living on a deserted island? Or being stranded on a deserted island, and there's an airplane there. It's fully fueled, but we don't know how to fly the airplane. You know, it's not doing us any good. Now, let me suggest this morning an acronym, an acronym to help us tap in to the transforming grace of God through faith. The acronym is CAR. Not originally with me. You may have heard it before. C A R. CAR. So start. The C stands for confess. Okay, when we sin. We confess. First John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we're going to confess our sin to God. Well, God already knows my sin, but we still need to confess. So if I get angry and have an outburst with my wife, later on I cool down, well, I still need to go to her and confess and seek forgiveness She already knows what happened. She was there, but I still need to do that. And God knows what happened, but we, the Bible says, we're going to come to him and to confess. That's the C. The A in the acronym of CAR is affirm. So we confess, and we're going to affirm God's forgiving grace when we've confessed. Again, in verse 9, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just, he will forgive our sin. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's not humble to question that. Oh, I'm not so sure. No, we affirm. Okay, God, yeah, I sinned. I've confessed it, and I'm affirming. I am forgiven, and you have purified me. But we don't stop there. And then the next part of the car is, the R is to request. Now we request God's transforming grace and his empowering grace to change us so that we won't do the same thing moving forward. And sometimes we miss this, tapping into God's grace. It's so simple, and a lot of times we don't do it, but we tap into it through believing it. It's faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Not just the forgiving part, but the empowering part. As we believe that God will help us and transform us, that God will give us that strength, we are changing. And God is changing us. Okay, so... James writes of the the situation of all prayerless Christians when he says, James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So you say, well, I've done that and I go to God and I pray. Well, do we? Really? Okay, so practice the card. Confess, affirm, and then request God's grace. Truly, this is foundational to everything we're going to do and everything we're going to talk about. The idea is, we're not trying to do this in our own strength. We have to have God's empowering grace, the resurrection power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit working within us, we are cooperating with God in this whole process. Strategy number one. Strategy number two is confession. Con- using confession to fight pornography. Proverbs 28:13. whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So the Holy Spirit here through the Proverbs is telling us how we're going to access God's mercy and His blessing. It's through confession. God cannot bless. He will not bless. He will not prosper us spiritually if we are hiding our sin. Now, obviously, I'm not talking right here about the confession to God. We've already talked about that. This is confessing to another human being. This is another person person that we're talking about. And this that kind of relates to the type of mercy and grace and blessing we're going to receive through confession. For instance, the blessing of a restored relationship. Let's say I'm married and I've Sin against my wife with pornography. Maybe she doesn't know about that. Maybe it's a secret. Maybe we might be tempted to think, well, I'll just make these slight adjustments privately and I won't say anything to her about it. It's better off for her if she doesn't know. I won't burden her with my problems. We can come up with all kinds of noble reasons why we ought not to confess to her or anybody else. I'll just be that one person in a million who can change without confession. But you know what? Even if she doesn't know, we have still harmed that relationship. We have still sinned against her. We have broken our vows to be faithful to her. We've committed adultery of the heart. There has been deception, a lack of honesty and a transparency. That all cannot be restored. It simply can't be unless we bring it out and we confess. And a lot of people, this is the deal breaker. I knew you were going to go there, Steve. There's just no way I could do that. <clears throat> but there is. You know, and, and we come up with these reasons, but the real reason why we don't want to confess to another person, I'm going to say, I believe the real reason. My opinion, what it comes down to, is pride. I care more about what other people think about me. I care more about this shell of respectability that I've built than I do about humbling myself before God. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble again. He's not going to give us grace if we're over here concealing our sin in our pride. The grace flows through confession. So, yeah, we're going to need God's help to make a confession. That's hard. And so we go to God and we, we say, God, give me the grace to have the strength to confess to who I need to confess to. And then we make the confession. And then we request the grace that flows from confessing and revealing our sin. This confession is bookended by grace. The power to do it to begin with and then the transforming power of grace and the forgiving power of grace that comes flows out of that confession. Who are we going to confess to? Don't put it on Facebook. <laughs> Don't put it on Facebook. Not everybody has to know. Don't have to come before the whole church. The people who've been affected by our sin. The people who've been affected by our sin. And also probably a good idea... To confess to someone who has, to whom we are spiritually accountable. Have spiritual accountability, our pastors. If you're a part of this church, maybe to the pastor. Now, when you know when I say pastors, I'm not talking about me or the staff members. Uh, Our pastors are our elders. So, so Terry Watkins, Tim Winans, Steve Barlow up there at the top. Those are our three pastors. Here's our three deacons down on the bottom. So, you know, any of these guys, the pastors, deacons could receive a confession like that and walk with us. The staff members could. We'd all be happy to do that. Another brother or sister in the Lord, maybe an accountability partner. But it needs to be someone to whom we are spiritually accountable. This is how a proud person humbles themselves and accesses this grace of God. As James continues, James 4, 7, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And then, a third strategy. So what have we said? The foundation of it all is grace. We're tapping into the grace of God. And then secondly, we're going to confess to the people that have been affected by our sin and to someone to whom we're spiritually accountable the third one, the third strategy, I'll call this radical measures, using radical measures to fight pornography. Now, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5:27. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. The problem is uh, pornography is too easy to access. It's a big part of the problem. At the end of the day, we can confess, we can cry, uh, we can cry out to God, we can pray, but until we eliminate the access, we're going to have... We're going to have a big struggle. See, we have to create some distance between us and that temptation in order for God to be able to work in us and for God's grace and his Holy Spirit to be able to work in us. We've got to have some space. Well, just like someone who's trying to recover from alcoholism, they've got to stay out of the bar and they've got to get the liquor out of their house, right? So, so we've got to do the same thing corresponding to that. And Jesus makes a very strong statement here. Cut off your hand, throw it away, gouge out your eye, and toss it away. Why such a strong statement? Well, you know, hey, do you remember Aaron Ralston back in 2003 cut his own arm off in Blue John Canyon in Utah? Do you remember that? Why did he do that? Because he was hiking there all by himself, and a boulder became dislodged and pinned his arm up against the canyon wall, crushed it, and he sipped what little water he had until it was gone after five days and then he took out his pocket, it was a little utility tool, and he let, you're going to cringe, he leveraged his arm until the bone broke, and then he cut the tissue away with a little pocket knife, and the moral of the story is, well, it's probably more than one. One is, always have a pocket knife with you, uh, but why, the moral of the story is, why did he do that? It was a matter of life and death. He was going to die, and so he sacrificed his arm, saved his life. And Jesus puts this whole issue in those stark terms. God does not warn us about sexual immorality because he wants us to be miserable. He warns us, Jesus warns us, because as he says here, it is sexual immorality that makes us miserable, that dehumanizes us, that leads to death and ultimately to hell. Whereas purity and holiness makes us fully alive and leads to life and eternal life in heaven the stakes could not be higher and so he's talking now of course this is hyperbole you're not talking about literally we know this not literally cutting off your arm or gouging out your eye in fact uh, people without eyes and hands can still lust in their heart he's talking about taking very aggressive radical measures to eliminate the source of the temptation Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. Fire goes out for lack of fuel. James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Real good book. And he writes, The idea that change is hard is one of the biggest myths about human behavior. The truth is you change effortlessly all the time. The primary job of the brain is to adjust your behavior based on the environment design a better environment and change will happen naturally. Okay, let's talk about our environment for a little bit. You know, you get up, you're trying to eliminate processed sugar from your diet. So you get up in the morning, you got the donuts right here and you got the oatmeal right here. Which one are you going to eat? You're going to eat the donut. You get the donuts out of the house and then you get up in the morning, you're going to eat the oatmeal, which you need to. It's better for you, right? So that's the basic idea here. So, all right, so the explosion of pornographic addiction correlates to the explosion of the internet. That's where most of the material is coming from. It's the internet. We access it on our computers, on our laptops, on our iPads, we get it on our iPhones. I'm getting on TV. But it's the Internet that's made it so accessible, everything's exploded right along with the Internet. So technology has exacerbated an already existing problem. The interesting thing is Technology has also given us a very effective tool to combat the problem. Uh, there is software that will monitor one's internet activity. There's more than one, but I'm going to just tell you about one. It's maybe the most effective one out there. It is one of the fastest growing companies in the United States called Covenant Eyes. And here's how let me tell you how it works with Covenant Eyes. With Covenant Eyes, you have a monthly subscription, nominal fee, and then you download the software to our elec- to your electronic devices. Put it on your laptop. Put it on your desktop. Put it on your iPhone. Put it on your iPad. And what happens is the software... <clears throat> so, so here's my MacBook Pro. And so the software, when I, whenever I'm on my computer, I'm at home or at, I'm at work or I'm surfing or I'm, whatever I'm doing, the software is in the background taking pictures, screenshots of my internet activity on any of those devices. Randomly, but quite often. And you never know when it's happening. You can't hear, it's not going click, click, click. You never know when it's happening, but it's happening. Then once a week, Covenant Eyes, once a week, sends an email accountability report to the person or people that I have identified to be my allies. They get the email report. Subject line of the email, no problems this week. Or, you know, here's he, here's an alert. And there are sample screenshots of my activity in that email. Now, they're pixelated, so your ally's not going to see something that's going to be tempting to them, but they're clear enough so you can see whether it's a good picture or a bad picture. And they're going to get that weekly report. Now, do you see what happens right there? Let me illustrate it. So let's say I'm driving along in my truck. I'm by myself. And I come to a a red light. I stop. And there happens to be a beautiful woman on the corner, and she's walking across the crosswalk in front of my truck. So I'm by myself. So, you know, I might be tempted to watch her a little too long, stray into sin, and my thoughts, it's a hypothetical, all right? It's a hypothetical, people. Okay, bear with me. Everybody's going, <gasps> hypothetical. All right, so, but I might be. So change the hypothetical. Let's say I'm, instead of, I'm by myself, driving in my truck, and I've got our family life minister, Nate, is with me in the truck, and our associate minister, Scott, is with me in the truck. I'm driving, I come to the stop light. We stop there. Beautiful woman crosses in front of the truck you know where my eyes are? Laser focus, straight ahead. I'm not looking anywhere. Why? Because I may be weak, but I don't want Scott to know I'm weak. I don't want Nate to know I'm weak. And so we help each other out that way. There's the safety in those numbers. It's the same idea over here. When I'm doing my my work and I'm on the internet, my phone, my laptop, my MacBook Pro, it's as if Scott's over here looking over one shoulder, and Nate's right here, if they're my allies, looking over the other shoulder. Huh, Steve, what you doing there? What you looking at, Steve? What you working on right there, Steve? The whole time. And the net result is it takes the Internet right off the table as a source of pornographic temptation. Because one place I don't want to find myself on Friday is over here talking to Nate and Scott about what I was doing or what the bad things I was doing over there on the internet. In fact, now I don't get any kickbacks or commission here, but a um, big fan. It actually combines three dynamics that we need. Number one is confession because in order to have an ally to receive those reports, we have gotta tell somebody I got a problem and I need some help. We've got confession. Number two is accountability. The problem with accountability relationships where, oh, we're gonna meet once a week and you're gonna ask me three questions about how I'm doing and the, the last question will be, did you lie to me and on any of your answers? You know, the problem is it's awkward, number one, and number two, yeah, of course I could lie. I mean, we're, we're deceivers and lying. That's one of the reasons we're in this problem to begin with. Well, the software doesn't lie. The accountability is built right into it. So you got the accountability dynamic. And then the third dynamic is simply eliminating that Internet as a source of temptation. Three powerful dynamics to come together with this tool. And again, you know, if we haven't repented, these are radical measures. If we don't believe it's wrong, this sermon's not going to help. This is not a sermon to demonstrate that pornography is wrong or sinful. If you're not there yet, this is not going to do any help. I'm talking about people who they're trapped in a sin. They know it. They want to get out of it. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Well, this is going to be huge. Now, you can't put covenant eyes on your television, um, but there are parental controls. If you're married, you can get your spouse to lock it down with parental controls, and she's got the password, and you don't get it. Or if you're single, then get an accountability brother or sister to come in. Lock down your TV with a password. They keep it. You don't get it. Or get rid of the TV. (laughs) What? Hey, you don't have to have TV. But you do have to be pure. And you do have to be holy. And you do have to have a clear conscience. And you do want to go to heaven. Remember what the stakes are. Uh, And, of course, there are other venues But you get the idea. I can't cover every venue. Go to the dirty bookstore. Well, just put the tracking thing on your iPhone so that you got an accountability partner says, what were you doing over there? You know, you can figure out ways for the other venues, but this is certainly the primary venue is the internet. Just take it out of the picture. And then God has room to work with his grace, resurrection power, regeneration, Holy Spirit, go to work and things are going to change. And you and I are going to be pure and holy and have a clear conscience and walk in the power of the Lord, just like he always told us we could and we would. One final thought. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 and following, just let me summarize it. Jesus talks about that man who had an evil spirit. The evil spirit left him and everything was fine. But then the evil spirit came back and brought seven that were worse than him. The man was worse off at the end than he was at the beginning. Well, what he's talking about there is you know, When when we over, or at least an application of it is, when we overcome a habit like this or an addiction, there's going to be a void. It's going to leave a void. There was a void there to begin with, or or we wouldn't be using that to mask our pain or any kind of addiction. We ought to know what to fill that void with, and we're going to fill that void with God. Now you say, but well, Steve, I'm already a Christian. I already have Jesus. I already have God. I have the Holy Spirit. That's not working for me. Well, we've got, we got to up our game a little bit how to interact with God and have a relationship with Him to the degree that He fills the voids in our lives. He's the only one who truly can. That's what we're looking for. It's what we're trying to assuage with these habits and addictions. And we want to get to the point where we can truly say, He is all I need. And that's what I want to talk about next week how to kind of step up our game a little bit, how we can be engaging with God in such a way so that he fills all the voids in our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for calling us to repentance, to holiness, to purity. We know this is the way to walk with you that results in great blessing and spiritual prosperity. We know that it's possible, Lord, you, you can change us, and you do change us. And so humbly, Lord, we come to you in repentance and confession, relying on your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.